This morning's message is entitled, True Confidence. In a nation and society where confidence is at an all-time low, the question for the people of God this morning is, where does true confidence come from? We're going to be looking this morning at Psalm 23, which Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, called the Pearl of the Psalms. Psalm 23 is probably the most memorized, recited and preached on psalm. So if there was any psalm we were going to preach and look at in our series, God's Story, Our Story, it's only appropriate we look at Psalm 23. Now I have to say that I'm very intimidated preaching on Psalm 23 for a number of reasons. One, there's probably been no psalm that's been preached on more than Psalm 23 throughout church history. And so I'm going to give it my best shot. Also, in a 20-minute message, there's no way we can possibly cover the, how rich and all of the glories, glorious truth that are found here in Psalm 23. So I want to help you by sharing with you a few resources that have helped me through the years study Psalm 23. And I actually have to thank my wife, the other biblical scholar in our home who has studied Psalm 23 way more than I have. She helped pick out these resources for this morning that has helped not only myself but her in her study of Psalm 23. But the first one is a book by W. Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's a phenomenal resource. Um, Not only is it biblically sound but W. Philip Keller wrote this book in the 1970s and he was a shepherd in East Africa and gives an incredible perspective on the shepherd metaphor in Psalm 23. That's W. Philip Keller. Also, the commentaries that I've been using uh, over the last couple weeks are the Kidner commentaries. Derek Kidner wrote phenomenal commentaries in the Old Testament, particularly on the book of Psalms. And so the Derek Kidner classic commentaries are a great commentary to look at. And then, of course, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers that we've already mentioned, wrote a phenomenal resource called The Treasury of David. It's a three-volume series that you can get online. Just uh, it is worth the purchase whether you get it digitally or a hard copy but The Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon. Also two children's resources on Psalm 23. One is called Found based on Psalm 23 by Sally Lloyd-Jones and then another great children's resource by Susan Hunt, who wrote, writes many discipleship resources for the PCA, Sammy and His Shepherd. Great resource found in Sammy and His Shepherd, but great resources that have helped our family, and particularly in the building of this sermon the last couple weeks on Psalm 23. A few weeks ago in 1 Samuel, we looked at the courage of David in his fight and battle with Goliath. Two weeks ago, Ago, we looked at the passion of David in his march into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. And today we're going to look at the confidence of David using the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep in Psalm 23. But I want to do something a little different this morning because it is so important that you do not read Psalm 23 from a distance but that you enter into the psalm this morning to understand how personal it is, not just that God is a shepherd or that God is the shepherd, but that God is your shepherd. 
So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and not fall asleep. But I want you to close your eyes and picture yourself in Psalm 23 as we read the great shepherd leading his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Certain songs take us back. We can listen to a certain song and it can take us back to a particular season, a particular event, a particular summer maybe, or a particular vacation. A certain song can take us back to moments in our life that were full of joy and laughter and fun. And then there are certain songs that can bring about sadness because it reminds us of tragedy and trial. Well, for centuries, there has been one soundtrack which has been the soundtrack and the playlist of the people of God, and that is the book of Psalms. You see, the Psalms, 150 of them, were originally written as songs by David and other worship leaders by the people of God, for the people of God, to sing songs, to sing songs of lament to sing songs of passion and joy, to sing songs of deliverance, to sing songs of comfort, and here this morning to sing songs of confidence. As I said in the beginning, no psalm has been recited, sung, memorized more than Psalm 23. For some of you, Psalm 23 might take you back to a moment in your life where you needed the comfort and the confidence of God that David speaks of here in the 23rd Psalm. This song was a song that speaks of the boldness not only of King David at the end of his life, but for all those who claim to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is your song and psalm of confidence this morning. I want us to look at briefly here in Psalm 23, three remarkable, audacious statements of confidence that David reiterates and recites here in Psalm 23. Three remarkable statements of confidence. The first is this, the confidence statement found in verse one, I shall not want. I shall not want. This it can also be interpreted in the Hebrew, I shall not lack. David is living in the reality of this confident truth that I lack nothing. I want nothing. Now you have to understand that regardless of your religion, regardless of what you believe, this is the goal of every living person. 
The goal of every single person is to get to the end of their life and to be able to say, I have achieved enough and acquired enough to be able to say with confidence that I want nothing. I lack nothing. The tragedy is the majority of people that have lived throughout history have sadly gotten to the end of their life and realized that they could never achieve enough or accomplish enough to be able to make that bold statement that I shall not want. How does David though say it? The reason David is able to say it is because David rejects the man-centeredness of life and human history And he moves into a God-centered view of life where he understands boldly and with confidence that the reason I shall not want, the reason I lack nothing is not because of what I've achieved or accomplished, but because of what the Lord, my shepherd, has achieved and accomplished on my behalf. If the Lord is your shepherd, you can live with the confidence and in the reality that I shall not want, that I have everything I need, I have everything I desire, that this world can rip everything away from me. But if I have the Lord as my shepherd, I have everything I need. The most intimate of metaphors David uses here. In the other Psalms, we see God as rock and shield and defender. We see God as king and redeemer and deliverer, but not here in Psalm 23. Everything I need, supplied and provided by my shepherd. And we see here in verse 2 and 3 that David's provision is met both physically and spiritually. In verse 2, the Lord is my shepherd. God is not only concerned with our spiritual needs, but he's concerned with our physical needs. In verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. The word still there can be translated rest, restful waters, that he provides the rest that I need, the rest from working to make a name for myself, the work that is required to achieve and accomplish everything this world says I need in order to matter and to make this life worth living. God alone allows me to rest in the green pastures and beside still waters. But in verse 3, he also provides for me spiritually. He restores my soul. The word soul there in the Hebrew means life. And the idea of restoration speaks to the revival of the soul, to the revival of life. David is not speaking here in the terms of restoration, meaning refreshment. He's not talking about a four-day vacation. He's not talking about a good night's rest or a good nap on a Sunday afternoon. He's not talking about refreshment, but restoration speaks to revival, the reviving of life. Many times if you go to a pasture, you will see a sheep in distress And a sheep in distress can be found on its back. And a sheep, if not turned upside down by a shepherd, will be left 
must die. And that's what David is speaking of here, that we are not in need of mere refreshment. We are on our backs dying, and it is God the good shepherd, our shepherd, your shepherd, that restores us and revives us and brings life to our not only weary souls, but to our dying souls. He turns us around and flips us upside down and brings us life both physically and spiritually so that we as his children can live with the confidence, I shall not want if he is my shepherd. The second confidence statement we see here in the passage is found in verse 4. I will fear no evil. This is probably the most recited verse in the most recited psalm in the scripture. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It was then President George W. Bush on the night of 9-11 from the Oval Office that recited this word to a fearful, and a nation lacking confidence at the time. The valley that David speaks of would have been familiar to any shepherd in the rocky terrain and the the hills and the valleys of the Middle East. A shepherd would have known about the, the dark valleys, the valleys of the shadow of death, where in the shadow of death would lurk animals and thieves that would come to rob and destroy and to kill. And so David understood that the valley of the shadow of death was a metaphor for any type of suffering or trial or trouble or difficult season in the life of the people of God. The valley of the shadow of death was a metaphor for any type of suffering or trouble then why, if David understood the dangers of the valley of the shadow of death, why is he able to say with such great confidence that I will fear no evil? It's because we're told that there's someone with us. We're told that the shepherd remains with us, that the shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, it's the God of the Bible. It's the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview that sets us apart from any other worldview or religion in the world because all other gods and all other leaders abandon their flock because they can't go into the suffering. Listen what Jesus himself in John chapter 10 verse 12 says he's comparing himself as the good shepherd and this is what he says in John 10 verse 12 he who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You see what sets apart biblical Christianity from the rest, from every other worldview, is we have a God that does not leave us on the edge of the valley, but climbs into the valley with us. We have a God that is not removed from suffering, but as we suffer, he enters into the suffering with us. Imagine climbing Mount Everest and getting three quarters of the way to the top, and your guide says, you get, you get how to do this, right? Well, you're on your own. I'll meet you at the bottom. Doesn't give you much confidence, does it? And neither does our God. 
leave us as we're climbing the mountain or entering deep into the valley. Our God goes with us. And this is what it says. He, in verse 4, even though I walk through, listen to the confidence of David. David is not lost in the valley. He's not abandoned in the valley. He's not stuck in the valley. He's living with the confidence that I will get through. Listen to the confidence. He's already banking on the promise that you, God, will see me through the valley. That is why I'm able to say, I will fear no evil. Because it's not death for the children of God. Death has been conquered. Death has been won. That's why David is able to say, it is not death that I walk through, but it is simply the shadow of death. It looks like death. And if we are honest, there are some of us here this morning and some of us watching online that are going through a season of life and it feels like you're dying. But for the people of God, you can live with the confidence that it is not death because death has been conquered once and for all. For all those who believe in Jesus Christ, it is merely a shadow of death. And I love what happens here in verse 4. Notice how David refers to God. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he refers to God in the third person. He leads me. He walks with me. He provides for me. He restores me. But what happens in verse 4? It moves to the second person. You, you, God, you are with me. Your rod and staff they comfort me. Why is that? Why does it move from the third person to the second person? Because that's what suffering produces. It's only in suffering and tribulation do we experience the nearness and the intimacy with God that we actually begin to talk to God and cry out to God because it's in moments of suffering and trial and tribulation that we realize God is all we have. But then we quickly realize God is all we need. What a beautiful picture of what suffering produces, sweet intimacy, so that we can say, because you're with me, God, I will fear no evil. I shall not want, I will fear no evil. And then lastly, the confidence statement found in verse 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You notice what happened in verses 5 and 6. We were originally in a pasture, a shepherd leading his sheep. But now in verses 5 and 6, we're, we're moved into a banquet. We're moved from the shepherd leading his sheep to the host preparing a banquet for his children. A pasture to a banquet. It is a celebration that God is preparing for his children. It is a banquet of epic proportions that God is preparing where? In the midst of the en enemies. Derek Kidner in his commentary says, this was David's way of taunting his enemies. Saying, enemy, you will not win. Enemy, you do not have a foothold. Enemy, you will not stand. That my Lord, my shepherd, my host prepares a table for me. Even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the tribulation, God is preparing a table and a party for all those that know him as their Lord and Savior. 
We're told in verse 5 that David's head is anointed with oil. Anointing a person's head with oil was a way of marking them and setting them apart. It was a sign of welcome, that you are the welcomed guest at this party. The, the cup, we are told, is overflowing. I love the King James Version. My cup overfloweth. Right? There is such an abundance of provision for the children of God. Such an abundance of provision at this party and at this banquet that David is overwhelmed with it. What an audacious statement, though, for David to say at the end of verse 6, and surely this house, this party, this banquet, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's probably the most audacious statements of all of the statements David makes here in Psalm 23. How could anybody have this type of assurance, this type of certainty, that they would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What well, was our founding pastor, D. James Kennedy, who came up with two questions, two questions that would go on to become what is known as the diagnostic questions in Evangelism Explosion. It's the two questions that we ask every new member that is seeking membership here at Coral Ridge. But it's the first question in particular that I see so many people wrestle with. And this is the question. Suppose you were to die today. Do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? And I hear a myriad of answers. It's simply a yes or no answer. But people feel compelled to explain it. They go, I can be certain of God. I can be certain of of the Bible, I can be certain of Jesus and what he did, but how could anybody be 100% certain that when they die, they will go to heaven? And I am here this morning to tell you, whether you're here live or watching online, you can be certain and have the assurance that if you were to die today, you can go to heaven and the reason David had such assurance and certainty and confidence is actually found in the beginning of verse 6. The reason for his confidence and the reason you can be confident today is simply by this verse. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word mercy there in verse 6 literally means steadfast love. It is the word that is used all throughout the scriptures that speak to God's never-ending, never-failing, steadfast love. It is the mercy of God that speaks to his covenantal faithfulness. It's covenantal language that David is using. And by this verse, he is linking together all of the promises of God the steadfast love that was shown to Adam in the garden, the steadfast love that was shown to Noah, the steadfast love that was shown to Abraham and Isaac, the steadfast love that was shown to Moses is now the same steadfast love and mercy that is shown to me, David. It is the steadfast love. It is on the basis of that steadfast love and mercy and goodness that I count as my basis for why I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is covenant language that connects us to the faithfulness of God. The love 
that never, ever ceases. And notice what David says here. It is not the goodness and mercy that I chase and run after. It is not my life of chasing after and acquiring righteousness for myself. But what? It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. David is saying goodness and mercy is not something that can be pursued. It is something that pursues you. It is the hound of heaven. It is the story of Christianity and God's sovereign grace of chasing us down. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is goodness and mercy that chases us down and pursues us. That gives us the confidence that I can stand and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is what we call ultimate assurance. But the covenant faithfulness of God and the steadfast love of God not only takes us back to all of the covenants in the Old Testament, but it points us forward to that day when the great covenant fulfiller and promise keeper, Jesus the Christ, would come and fulfill God's steadfast law, love once and for all. So that in John 10, verse 14 and 15, Jesus is able to declare, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, it was at the cross where Jesus not only took on the shadow of death, but death consumed him. It was on the cross that Jesus laid down his life and the shepherd becomes like the sheep and allows himself to be devoured by the wolves. It is at the cross where Jesus fulfills once and for all this beautiful picture of God's goodness, mercy, and steadfast love pursuing sinners like you and like me. And the hope for us this morning, the only way that we can live with the confidence that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is to surrender our life to the one who surrendered his life and allowed mercy and steadfast love and goodness to come our way. Two grandparents were traveling with their grandchildren through Boston, and they decided to take a day to do a historic tour of Boston, Freedom Hall, and the church, and all of the historical sites in Boston that take us back to the beginnings and the foundations of of our country. And their tour ended with a very historic cemetery in Boston. Paul Revere was buried there, Samuel Adams, even Mother Goose. Don't ask me to explain that one. But as they were going through the cemetery, the grandmother came up with an idea. She, She did a scavenger hunt, and she came up with all of these clues to find the different famous people that were buried at different sections of the cemetery, Well, about halfway through the scavenger hunt, the grandfather said, I've had enough. It's 97 degrees. We've gone to 20 different sites and he had enough. And he began to sulk and began to mope around the cemetery. I'm over this grandparent thing. I'm over the grandkids. I'm over the sightseeing. It's hot. I'm tired. And I just want to go home. And as he continues to sulk and distance himself from his family, his little granddaughter, seven years of age, Courtney, comes up to him 
And she slips her hand in his and says, hey, pops, what if I walk with you for the rest of the day? And melted his heart. And he said it took the worst day and made it the best day. Brothers and sisters, the day you realize that God came down and walks alongside of you and slips his hand in yours and says, even through the valley of the shadow of death, I will see you through. The day you realize that, it will change your life forever. My only question for you this morning, is he your shepherd? Not just a shepherd, not just the shepherd, but my shepherd. Charles Spurgeon said the sweetest word of the whole verse is that word, my. He does not say the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large and leads forth the multitude of his flock, but the Lord is my shepherd. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me and watches over me and preserves me. The words are all in the present tense. Whatever be the believer's position, he or she is now under the pastoral care of the good shepherd of the sheep. Listen to me, whether you realize it or not, you need a shepherd. I know that there are many people here and those watching that need a shepherd and need the confidence that the shepherd alone can bring because I've talked to you recently and you are hurting and you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you need the confidence that you have a God that walks alongside of you. Dallas Willard said, The Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than actual lives. Let that sink in. But it doesn't have to be that way. He can be your shepherd. Believe in Jesus. Meditate on this beautiful reality. And live with the confidence both today and tomorrow that regardless of what valley you are walking through today, you can live with the confidence the utter confidence that he prepares a table for me and that I, yes, even I, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.